0: You there, if you go chasing those rabbits and you know you're going to fall, tell them a hookah smoking caterpillars giving you the call. Call Alice.
1: <laughs> Yay, you did that like an ambulance chaser! Like, I love that. That was awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, call Alice and Sons. We made
2: business. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's good.
0: Hello, welcome to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. But not this week. We're not doing that this week. This week we have a special musical guest. I'm Theo, the producer.
1: I'm Jackie, one of your hosts. I'm Rachel, your other host.
3: And? I'm Jacob, sometimes called Nathan, uh the guest the guest the musical guest right
4: don't sound so unsure you're the guest you're, you're for sure the guest you are yeah. the guest yeah, yeah we don't know if you're Jacob but you're definitely the guest
0: <laughs> guest of honor in thank fact. you yeah that's great Jacob has a podcast as well called underrated over hated yes that's right and I was on that podcast a few months ago yeah, I, I yeah. guess at this point uh,
1: yeah Theo had a guest appearance
0: yeah, yeah we talked about folk music yeah it's a great podcast you all should listen to it do you have anything <laughs> you want to say about it Jacob oh
3: yeah you should you should listen to it quite right <laughs> <laughs> um, I just do that podcast, <laughs> yeah. and I do other musical things on my channel, Big Yellow Praxis, which is kind of my internet handle. It's a nonsensical, mostly nonsensical Johnny Mitchell pun, but I, I I stick to it. So yeah, I just talk about underrated music. Basically, I just have people on, and we chat about music. Yeah. You
1: know, so our podcast so. kind of seems like the the corollary to yours. So yours is yes. underrated, overhated. Ours is overrated, underhated.
3: Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no. well, we're always on the hunt for books that are overrated, but we haven't found The <laughs> yet. won't let us fire anything. Well, the, the whole
0: premise of the podcast is we're deciding whether we're going to fire the books in the canon out of the canon. And Rachel has never done it. Mm
1: -hmm. I've allowed it to happen. You've allowed it to happen because you have to. (laughs) She's not completely an autocrat at this time.
3: Can I, I have a couple questions. Did the name come first? Because it's a great name. And I, I, it's the kind of name where I would imagine someone has the name and like, this is just a great name. I need to create something around it.
1: Rachel smugly blinking because yes, she came up with the name and we based the podcast around the pun. I'm not joking.
4: (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. We were thinking of doing some (laughs) kind of podcast at some point because we just talked all the time anyway. And I thought, (laughs) hey, we're already talking. Let's just record it. Let's just
1: monetize this.
2: Yeah, Theo's
4: mom would love it. And (laughs) I was right about that. Oh, yeah. And then I just thought of the name and I thought, wait a second. This is actually perfect because I already have read all these books. Mm -hmm. And Jackie's
1: read a lot of them and Theo hasn't read any, it seems. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so, Jacob, your idea for this episode was you are going to – we're kind of going to mash these things up. And you've given us four songs that are based on famous works of literature to discuss. And I have not – read any of them but i know what they are yeah. this episode
4: goes out to all the dads out there this is the dad rock <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it i will it say if i can't yes. <laughs> and i was telling
1: them earlier so my dad um when we when my sister and i were growing up every time that you know he would always listen to the classic rock station and each time a new song came on he'd give us a quarter if we could correctly state the band so i know the songs and i know the bands but i, I actually don't know the books so i'm actually more on jacob's team during this episode And
4: I told Jackie that what my dad would do is he wouldn't, he didn't go easy on us. He would say, you can wager a dollar before the next song starts. You can bet me a dollar that you'll be able to get it right. And if you are correct, I will give you a dollar. If you're wrong, you have to pay me a dollar. So we would basically not play the
1: game. Your dad discouraged (laughs) guessing.
0: (laughs) So you never learned anything.
1: Was this with classic rock, Rachel, he would do this or with? Yeah, classic rock. Okay. Well, no wonder <laughs> that you never really learn. I
4: mean, I, I I was able to get a few of them, but sometimes he would break down and. how much
1: money did you lose
4: I, I never lost any money because I would wait until he was like okay fine like I'll let you have three guesses and 30% of the time it is Led Zeppelin so
3: you know, my, my mom will still be driving around somewhere in a car and she'll just put the phone up near the radio she'll pull over and put the phone next to the radio I'm glad
1: to hear she pulls over she's listening
3: to a, a classic rock and she'll be like oh what's this and obviously you cannot hear it down the phone so yeah. I just have to try to talk to her mom just tell
1: her it's Led Zeppelin <laughs> I don't
3: know what it is I don't but usually uh it's yes actually which I mean I consider incredibly (laughs) cool um.
1: yes was actually one the first concert I ever saw I saw them when I was like very very little and they were playing at a free festival that I that I had gone to with my parents brilliant I love it I love it yeah
0: is your mom testing you or is she just wondering what it is like does she just need the Shazam app
3: I don't think she's testing me, actually. I think it's it's a kind of actually, it's a sweet kind of enthusiasm. Um, Like, oh, listen to this. It, it might be, it yeah. might be. I mean, it's a bit of a guess. Sometimes it's not, but it's usually a song I might like. But usually I can't tell what it is and I have to text her and be like, mum, what was that? <laughs> oh, it was the Beatles or something. And I just heard drumming or something like that. <laughs> I was going to say the the classic rock point is, well, yeah, it's obviously, that it's classic rock, but it's it's a good point because the 70s was kind of, peak literature rock yeah you might want to call it literature rock but it was peak frivolous I mean it was the age of progressive rock it was the age of some might say overly pretentious rock yeah. others might say I, I might say personally it's it's more enthusiastic and fun and okay yeah okay maybe a little bit pretentious but um it is that kind of peak era and personally I consider the kind of peak literature rock song if it was a genre is you might not agree but for me it's Kate Bush Wuthering Heights
1: Oh, um, hell yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's how
4: Jackie and I became buddies, <laughs> one of the ways. Really? Was bonding over Wuthering
1: Heights. <laughs> well, I have been singing that song to myself since I was three or four years old, because my, yeah, again, my dad would just blast this Kate Bush album. My mom hated it, probably because I had a horrible little three-year-old voice, but... Yeah, we became buds over this. You could do the dance. (laughs) Uh,
4: I became buds with another person through the song, too. When I was teaching in Korea, that's how Jordan and I bonded, was we went to like a mm -hmm. Noribang, like a karaoke place, with a bunch of – we were on this trip with some other foreigners – And they had that, and we sang it, and of course we did the Kate
1: Bush voice, and, you know, like, eight people left the room and got really angry. (laughs) (laughs) Because only Kate Bush – there's, like, a few singers that only – you know, you don't try and be Freddie Mercury, and you don't try and be Kate Bush. No. No.
4: We're very good at doing that voice. They just didn't like it. Uh-huh. They were like, "What the fuck is this shit? What song is this? Why aren't they doing like <laughs> something people know?" And it's so long too. Then there
3: are voices that everyone should at least once in a while try to imitate, like David Bowie. Even if you can't do it well, you just yes. you occasionally have to give it a go because it's just it so much great fun. Yeah, yeah.
4: Jackie did a Bob Dylan yesterday. Oh, that's yeah. another. It's actually not bad. <laughs> may
3: I? May I hear it?
1: Uh, with a Bob yeah, do Dylan. You Bob Dylan girl. Yeah. What should I? What should I read?
0: Just say you've got a lot of nerve, or something
3: like
1: that. <laughs> you got a lot of nerve.
3: Yeah, I, in my head, that's what I was expecting.
1: This week on the bag, we have Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very good at all. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Ghost voice. <laughs> yeah.
3: David Bowie.
1: Yeah, that was not bad.
4: I
3: can't quite do it. I don't have the received pronunciation. I'm from the wrong part of the country.
4: The northern part. It sounds like.
3: Yeah, I'm from. I'm from the cool part, the northern part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My only reference for his laugh is from the film Labyrinth, and I, I saw that just the other day, so I should remember it better, but I, I can't do a David Bowie laugh. <laughs> oh,
1: man. I feel like Jacob is like the missing fourth person in our friend group. Like, we're yeah. so obsessed with Labyrinth. The
4: one who links Jackie to Theo. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I think whenever I try to do a David Bowie voice, I get it mixed up with the Flight of the Concords Bowie impression. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they, they do good. Stuff. So it's like a mix of New Zealand, and, yeah.
0: All right. Shall we begin? I
4: think we shall, right? Jacob made us a Spotify playlist of four songs based on literary classics, so we'll put a link to that in the episode description if that's okay with you, Jacob. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah, of course, yeah.
4: I would recommend that you listen to the songs. Obviously, we can't play them because we don't have enough patrons yet to get sued by these four classic rock dudes, so (laughs) give us more money
1: and we'll break the law. So anyway. So wait, Jacob, why didn't you include Wuthering Heights?
3: Um... Because it goes without saying that it's brilliant. I don't know. I, uh, well, one of these might <laughs> Oh, not... okay. Yeah. So we have to debate. I, I don't know. I think Wuthering Heights is, is kind of a... It's cheating. It's cheating, isn't it's it? It's cheating. just... What is there to say other than Kate Bush, big thumbs up, song, big thumbs up, yeah.
4: I think once we read the actual book Wuthering Heights, let's have Jacob come back and talk about the song for like a bonus episode, if you want to do that. Which shall we talk about
1: first? Should we list all the songs?
3: Yeah. So the songs are White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. The Cask of Amontillado by the Alan Parsons Project, The Eve of War featuring Richard Burton and J- Justin Haywood by Jeff Wayne, and uh, Anthem by the Canadian progressive rock band Rush. Nice.
4: I didn't know Rush was Canadian. Yeah. Neither did I. Mm-hmm. I guess I
1: know hardly anything about Rush.
0: Yeah, this is actually the first time I've ever listened to Rush.
4: Really?
1: Really? I'm so sorry, Theo. Theo, weird. I honestly, Rush is great. I mean, I don't know about this particular song, but all the music is... Okay, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Should we start in the order
4: in which they appear? Should we start with Jefferson Airplane?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good, good order. Yeah.
4: Let's say since this is a... Mostly a book podcast. First, let's talk about if we've read the thing it's based on, and then we'll talk about the song. So Alice in Wonderland, everybody, what's your level of familiarity?
1: I mean, movies.
0: Yeah, I haven't read it. I don't remember watching, there's like a Disney version, right? I don't yeah. remember watching that. I didn't ever watch the Tim Burton one, but I watched this weird Soviet one with like stop yes, animation yes. stuff. That has <laughs> the most painful sound design I've ever heard in a movie. It's so <laughs> grating, but it's like awesome.
1: Why did you watch this?
0: Didn't you hear
3: the description? Why wouldn't he watch it?
1: Yeah, Jackie, weird Soviet (laughs) version.
0: (laughs) I just made a checklist for you for why it was so good.
1: But he said the sound design is painful.
0: No, it's like fascinating how grating the sound design is. Like You could never make a movie like this anymore. With that sort of sound. Because
1: you
4: would like, want
3: to. <laughs> 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 I, I'm not even sure how many cinematic versions, you know, animations or live action there are. of it. There must be... I mean, I, I could probably list three or four, but there must be more. I feel like there's just an endless amount of different versions of this as a film of, uh, not yeah. White right but obviously right. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, This is something that I haven't read for ages. But
4: you have read it when you were...
3: I have read it, yeah, a long time ago. Like
4: when you were a kid, I guess?
3: Maybe not like a kid kid, but...
4: Rachel, I assume you've read it at some point? Oh, yeah, yeah. When I was in um, middle school, I... I went to, like, a very small private Christian middle school, so we, like, weren't allowed. They didn't have hardly any fantasy books in the library, but they had Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and all that. So I read that in middle school, and I loved it, and uh, that's when I was kind of in my memorizing poetry phase. So I was really into the Jabberwocky and the Walrus and the Carpenter, (laughs) just would, like, sit in a Bible-slash-science class and (laughs) memorize poems. (laughs) I I really I love the books. I think they're weird. But what I thought was interesting about this song was, to me, it seems like the song has definitely got like a weird vibe. But I feel like people in the sixties and seventies kind of had a a wrong impression of the weirdness of Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Sorry, I was
3: just—it's a generally good point to make about any literature kind of adaptation into popular culture. So, so I'm a huge Tolkien nerd, and I always have been, and. (gasps) I see the hands Jackie. go up. I assume in support. <laughs> Seems like he should join the podcast. Um, um,
4: I might vote one of you off at the end. <laughs> okay, you can vote me off, but th- we cannot get rid of Theo. He's the editor.
3: I, I can edit, uh, by the way. Just so you know, I, I can I can edit. <laughs> oh,
4: okay. okay.
2: get out of here! <laughs> here we go. Goodbye.
3: Very presumptuous guest we have. Like. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so um.
1: Yeah. Well, Led Zeppelin did a lot of had a lot of Tolkien in their songs, right?
3: Yeah. So, but if, if you look at different interpretations of Tolkien's work. It, whether cinematically or just in terms of visual art and into music again 70s rock loved their Tolkien the image of it changes through time now we're very used to Peter Jackson's interpretation which is high fantasy epic yeah. in, in scope it's huge and it's big but in the 70s, there was a lot more... Um,
4: pastoralism. Pastoralism,
3: quaint English villages, that kind of thing. That's obviously there in the Peter yeah. Jackson, but it's kind of a different focus. Sure.
1: But you look at the cover of mm. the books from the 70s versus like the movie posters and they couldn't be more
2: different. Exactly,
4: It's like... All the Shire. Yes, yes. Just like Bilbo smoking his pipe
1: sitting on a hill
4: or something. Yeah, or just like floating down
1: the river in Lake Town, yeah.
4: Now, Jackie, do you wish they had made that Lord of the Rings with the Beatles as the Four Hobbits? Do I wish they had made it? Uh, Because they were about to. Yeah, I I don't...
0: Was it going to be like a musical sort of thing, like (laughs) with songs and
4: stuff? I would imagine, because I think it was similar to the the animated... um, Hobbit movie where what's that song they sing? Um, that was one of the 5 DVDs we had growing up too. Was this bizarre cartoon version of the Hobbit. <laughs> was that
3: the 7 the 70s movie, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: 1977. They haven't done it so I can't say if I would have loved it, but I I kind of think not because I kind of prefer when I love two things for them to just stay separate and not sully the other with. I don't know, I just feel like that gets weird.
3: I think that's prudent. I think it is. And also <laughs> even uh, the the Beatles obviously have fantastic liverpudlian accents but it's not the appropriate accent in my mind for a hobbit
1: yeah the shire should not
4: be <laughs> liverpool <laughs> what accent do you think hobbits should have
3: i think peter jackson nailed it with a kind of west country burr so i don't know to what degree you're aware of the different parts of england <laughs>
4: jackie constantly does a samwise accent i know i can <laughs> do john lennon and i can do samwise pretty frequently yeah. <laughs> so she can do an american
1: doing that accent
3: <laughs> right yes, so yeah so western
1: yeah. you're saying is like closer to ireland
3: so Liverpool is the northwest, mm-hmm. um, whereas if you go down south, so it's where I live now, actually, is, is Bristol. And Cornwall, Somerset, Devon is the west country where everyone has, most people in the UK think of them as farmer accents. Mm. That's why it's such a perfect accent for the Shire, because most people's interpretation is of combine harvesters. And <laughs> in fact, it's a very famous, very famous song that was very huge, again, in the 70s. The 70s were weird. They got to number one about a combine harvester. Uh, they got to number one in the UK. <laughs> what was it
1: called? Big Yellow combine? combine? combine harvester
3: (laughs) pretty close but it's sung in a west country accent so that's that's the picture of a west country accent
0: (laughs) what if that had been the uh the beatles reunion that everyone is hoping for is they got together to make a lord of the rings movie and then they disbanded again
1: that would be funny
3: (laughs) would you have liked that i'm speechless
1: like at the end it's john lennon like sailing off to numenor yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the
3: Undying Lands. Uh, sorry, I have to say it's the Undying Lands. Oh, you're right. You're Numenor right. had already sunk by then, but you know it's fine. <sighs> oh,
1: global warming.
4: Oh yeah. man, Jackie! This is a presumptuous guest Sorry, am, trying to I take Theo's
1: place, correcting <laughs> Jackie on Lord of the Rings. This is why, in the beginning, he was like, "I'm the guest," because he knew he was going to take over as the editor by
3: the end. Yeah. Welcome to Fire the Cannon. This is your new host, Jacob. I'm joined by three yeah. guests.
1: Don't get too attached. This is the last
4: time you'll be hearing from them. <laughs> um, okay, so 70s. Wait, we gotta talk back about- to Alice in Wonderland songs. White Rabbit.
3: The general point was that yes, you're right. It's it's a different type of weirdness, and it's it's kind of dialed up to eleven in terms of the weirdness of Alice in Wonderland and the weirdness of Jefferson Airplane, who wrote a song with you know a marching drum beat, um, a kind of it's warlike, yeah, a a a faux Spanish kind of chord progression and Grace Slick's insane, like, bleating vibrato. I can only call it like the yeah. bleating of a sheep. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. But it's it, it is it's bonkers. It's truly bonkers.
4: It seems like it's just 100% about drugs, right? Or is, am I missing something? Well, uh,
3: uh, yes, yeah, you are completely right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I
4: mean. Like, the book Alice in Wonderland, the weirdness is more like I'm taking logic and I'm twisting it. Yes. And then here's some, like, funny math jokes. But in the 60s and 70s, they were just like, oh, man, the caterpillar. Yeah, smoking that pipe. Yeah. And oh, the magic <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs>
4: just like those two two aspects everyone just really drilled down on those
3: I've, like grace slick was <laughs> she was purposely writing the song to be weird and it was a 60s so it's all about like hey man let's like, challenge your assumptions about what a pop song can be mm. which i say facetiously there but also is also a great thing to do but she she did it from the point of view that she thought that alice in wonderland was always a weird trippy story to be reading children And that this that Mm -hmm. yeah it is but that that her interpretation of it in this song was the obvious thing to do which again in a way it's slightly inaccurate but I do feel like it's completely appropriate (laughs) I think it's it's both
4: yeah I liked the song a lot uh, but I do think it's funny because if you have such an old book you know obviously like you're talking about with Lord of the Rings the the things people focus on just change over time Mm -hmm. yeah there was a weird period in the early two thousands on deviant art where everyone was very horny for the cartoon Mad Hatter
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm. not. and su- I
4: don't know why because I don't think there was an adaptation coming out but you like could not click on anyone's profile in DeviantArt without seeing some like mm-hmm. look at this guy what if he was hot but yes. like just find another hot guy why do you have to pretend this guy is hot and then draw a bunch of weird fan art of him. It does
3: not surprise me the internet is I think we can all agree a complete mistake it's just it's, <laughs> it's, it's an ethical dead end as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> um, and DeviantArt is not the only website that we're going to uh, level those accusations at. Mm-hmm. Other than like... The Fire the Cannon
0: podcast and the Overrated Underrated
3: podcast. Of course. Oh, yes. I thought that went without saying. Yeah,
1: and we don't know if the rest of the trash pile is worth it, but we'll see. When I hear this song, unfortunately now, what I think of is uh, that scene from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Do you know that? Yes,
3: I do. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember it that
1: well, but there's a character listening to this song and I guess tripping out maybe. Everybody in Fear and Loathing is tripping out. We'll have to read that at some point on the pod. But at the end, when it reaches that big crescendo, feed feed your head, feed your head, feed your head, then the character like, drops a radio in the bathtub and kills themselves so mm-hmm. don't enjoy yes. having that as- association with it
3: <laughs> yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i totally get right. you but um yeah. what i love about this song is just the form of it it's not just verse chorus verse chorus it's building it's building to something and then it ends i i think it's great i think it's i told I, them I that the
1: um i think you have to listen to the song very loud you can't just like have this song on <laughs> in the background
3: <laughs> that's true yeah it, It's it's because it's not it's not it's not punk it's not even rock in a kind of heavy obvious way necessarily but there's a heaviness to it and it yeah it's just one of the songs that becomes something else when it's incredibly loud i also thought you were going to say something else you always have to listen to this song while incredibly and i was like where are we going where are we going? <laughs> um, <laughs> and again that would probably be the spirit in which it was yeah. written but yeah
1: <laughs> well is it spoilers to say that theo said that this was his favorite of the four songs so it's all downhill from here
0: <laughs> yeah i of course i was like familiar with it for a long time it's like almost he's like he's
1: chatting at me saying how dare you (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah. Uh, it's like a like a cliche almost like it's like a signifier of the 60s like whenever you hear it because i hadn't listened to it since high school so something that struck me when i was listening to it is yeah like it has all of the spanish elements but like the way the vocal line sounds with all these like Uh, like forte piano things then she holds out the note and then there's like a little grace note before her next note or something it's like to me that's like those are the signifiers classical composers use to make something sound Middle Eastern yes Mm. I mean it was feeling like really kind of exotic cyst to to me
1: Orientalist did they name that note after her (laughs)
3: Uh, the grace note yeah grace note
1: okay done we could just move on from that
3: I thought that was a good joke (laughs) hey hey whoa I thought it was a good joke I like
1: this guy keep (laughs) him on the podcast Theo, he's really coming for you (laughs)
0: I wouldn't edit that out when I'm here but Theo would Theo
1: only edits out the things that I don't want him to edit out and vice versa yeah Yeah,
0: anytime she says edit that out I make sure to leave it in
1: make sure it stays
4: and he leaves in that she told him to take it out so um,
3: I I think a lot of Grace Slick is uh, I think she's a great singer she's written some great songs but it's a good point the exoticism of it and the kind of "Mm, is this okay Like she put on blackface at some point in the early 70s I think yeah for a front cover of some, maybe it was Rolling Stone or something else. And yeah, yeah, yikes, that's the only reaction. Um, And I think she tried to frame it as part of some kind of hippie progressive breaking down barriers of what people would assume blah 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 it's like no <laughs> like no. you would
1: assume a white person wouldn't do blackface but you'd be wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in fact it seems like it's only ever white people who do blackface
3: <laughs> yeah exactly i like a lot of songs and stuff from hippie culture but i still think there's always that kind of
1: everybody's got the dream catchers and the little bindi on their forehead and yes uh, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah maybe you shouldn't be exactly yeah. just it's <laughs> a mashup of other cultures
3: yeah yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also thought it was interesting that you have all the stuff that sounds otherworldly or exotic mm. or something, but then in the middle of the song you have this thing that sounds kind of bluesy, like it just goes from like like one to four, like kind of seventh chords, yeah. and also there the drum beat changes from being a march to being like a more yeah. typical drum beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is going on in this song? It's like, <laughs> a, lot of, like a lot of different <laughs> yeah. stuff happening.
3: Exactly, I I completely agree. It's I I think it does fit. And it's not too disjointed, but the disjointedness to some degree is part of its appeal. Right. I mean, it is. That's why it's a signifier of like late '60s right. Californian drug culture because it, it is. It does all the things. I mean, it does all the things that you'd expect a song from that yeah. era to do, and it mm-hmm. just packages it up into two and a half minutes of <laughs> intensity.
4: Saves you a lot of time. Just listen to this, and you've got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Like
1: you don't have to do DMT. Just listen to the song. Saves you
4: ten years
1: yeah. <laughs> of living through the '60s. Yeah. <laughs> um so is our question um did it do a good job of representing the book sounds like rachel is saying maybe not but it it did for the zeitgeist of that time Mm
2: -hmm.
4: yeah yeah i think it did a great job of representing what people
1: thought of alice in wonderland (laughs) for like 20 years Mm -hmm. and also probably influenced it for a long time afterwards
3: i think so yeah
4: no and i enjoyed the song a lot too and i'm not like i'm fine with classic rock. I like it fine, but I'm not mm-hmm. into it, you know? Like, I'm not going out and finding things and doing my little research on the bands. <laughs> but I like it fine. <laughs> but I, I did like the song a lot, and I was just thinking, hmm, maybe I'll listen to this some more.
1: So that was great. I want to save Rush for the end, so should we move on to the maybe the cask of Amontillado?
2: By the last breath of the four winds the blow I'll have revenge upon fortune.
4: Okay, so the thing that I don't like about this song is that he pronounces it Amontillado mm,
1: instead yes, of Amontillado, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: I meant to yeah. say it at the start when I was listing them, I also did that, but it's because of the song. I, I That's the name of the song. Yeah. Right, no, yeah. the, right, right.
1: the name of the story is
4: The Cask of Amontillado. The name of the song, yes. The Cask of Amontillado. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to avoid
3: copyright issues. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Can I just
3: apologize? Because there may be some listeners who were turned off immediately as soon as I started listing the songs, and they may not even listen to this point because of my correct, but. Typical.
4: Im- Englishman can't bother to pronounce things right.
3: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, we can have
0: you record a long apology and I'll insert it right after that.
3: <laughs> so yeah, so this song's is by um, the Alan Parsons Project. And does this piece of literature in, in America need introducing? Is it that kind of level? Uh,
1: people know Edgar Allan Poe, but I, it's yeah. not his most famous piece. Mm-hmm. So I think we could give a little summary of it. Correct. I'm sure I've read it at some point. Also,
4: we have l- quite a few international listeners, so... I don't know how big Poe is in France, hmm. so we might as well. I don't know why I've been bringing up our five French listeners so much lately. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. I thought it was one for each of you. It's
3: always cooler to have French listeners, right? Isn't well,
4: I, I feel like I need to switch to picking on the Germans or something.
1: Picking on. So, Rachel, could you give us a little overview of the Cask of Amontillado?
4: Yeah, let me see. I want to see when it was written. It's a tale of murder. It is a tale of murder. Theo's right okay so it was published in
0: it's a tale of masonry uh,
1: yes you're right maybe Theo should be <laughs> oh, the yeah, one go ahead Theophilus I'll just
0: keep giving little clues
1: <laughs> <laughs> saying what it's tales <laughs> yeah. of what's the next m word that it's about uh,
4: masquerades or something because isn't it Carnival's happening?
0: Isn't the main character's, doesn't his name start with a
3: name?
4: Yeah, Montresor. That's what you should have said. A tale, tale of, of murder, Montresor. masonry, and Montresor. <laughs> we can make that the episode title.
3: It's like a cheesy 1950s movie poster. A tale Yeah. Of, right? <laughs> yeah <right. laughs>
4: so the, the story is Montresor is telling it to someone, and we don't know who it is. But he's talking about how he had a good friend named Fortunato, and they're both Italian noblemen. And he gets revenge on him for some kind of insult, and he doesn't say what it is, but we can assume that it really wasn't that big of a deal. So they, he tells his friend, like, come here, I have this rare cask of Amontillado wine, and you should come over and taste it. So he's like, that sounds great. I want to show off that I know more about wine than some other guy. So they go there to the palazzo, and they're, like, wandering around in the catacombs, and they're tasting the wine, and... What Montresor does is he tricks Fortunato into like going in this little cubby, like a niche, and says, like, oh, the wine is in there. And then while he's in there, he ricks him up alive. And Fortunato has been like chained up and he's um, you know, as he's being bricked up, he's like calling for help and yelling, and he has the famous line where he says, like, for the love of God, Montresor, and Montresor says, Yes, for the love of God, and then That's it. Well, how
1: fast does this bricking occur?
4: Well, he's chained up and he's drunk. Oh,
1: okay. I forgot he's chained up. That's important.
3: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
4: But also he's drunk. And I think Montresor was expecting him to not notice at all. Mm. But he like sobers up, I guess because he drinks so much wine that Mm. he's fine with it. But he sobers up and notices. And then at the end, Montresor like drops a lit torch and he says like that he feels bad, but he thinks, oh, it's just because the catacombs are damp. At the end of the book, he says, 50 years later, the corpse is still hanging from its chains where I left it. And he ends with, uh, like, the Latin, in pace requiescat. Rest in peace. But so that's the tale. Some, like, asshole kills his friend for no reason. (laughs)
3: FML. On the the subject of underrated, the Montresor, clearly the most underrated dinosaur, right? (laughs) (laughs)
4: Theo, uh-oh, he really could take your spot.
3: (laughs) I'm the dinosaur guy here. Now, if he
4: only likes Yu-Gi-Oh, we're going to have to kick you off. (laughs)
3: Uh, My my brothers really like Yu-Gi-Oh! And I remember watching bits of it. Do you really like Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm not not, not saying that in a judging way. I genuinely like what you want. From fourth grade to sixth grade, it was like
0: my life. (laughs) It's a
4: touchstone of his childhood. It's not like he's currently watching it. But audience, if you currently watch Yu-Gi-Oh! Good for you.
0: Fourth grade to sixth grade, it was like Yu-Gi-Oh! Gummy worms
4: that was
3: my life I, I wasn't being snide so i, I want <laughs> this is another british cultural thing people in the south they're kind of like passive aggressive i'm from the north we're incredibly blunt to the point of rudeness so, so don't worry if, <laughs> if i if i genuinely thought Yu-Gi-Oh is lame or whatever i would i would say it there's no beating around the bush for me ah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this song so it's just just so you know it's from an album that is all based around edgar Allan poe short stories primarily yeah, short okay. stories.
4: The same guy doing all the songs or various guys?
1: What is the Alan Parsons project?
3: So Alan Parsons was um, one of the techs, engineers on Dark Side of the Moon and a few of the Pink Floyd oh, albums. So okay. the fact that he w- then went on to have like a relatively not huge, successful, I don't know I wouldn't quite call them progressive rock. They're kind of they're, they're similar to Pink Floyd. They're kind of like Seventy the Dad Rock. You neo know,
4: Neoliberck. <laughs> <rock>. Neolib I've <laughs> heard of the Alan Parsons project, oh, yeah. but yeah. like I've heard people making jokes about the name, I think. Yes.
3: I mean Alan Parsons, so he sounds like he'd be what we call an Anorak. I don't know if you have that term.
1: Uh, like a rain jacket? Is that a raincoat?
3: Yeah, so yeah, it's named after the rain jacket. Just kind of a, a geeky, nerdy guy who does train spotting. Now I am mocking people's hobbies. I don't mean to, but it's a term that we <laughs> people use in this country. Is oh,
4: train he- spotting just
1: looking at trains? Or being like, aha, I found oh, okay. one. Because all I know is the Ewan McGregor movie, which train spotting to me sounds like something much more hardcore. <laughs> yes,
3: that's very different. So yeah. train spotting is maybe it's, again, a very British thing, because obviously we have a history of trains where the steam train started. History is. of trains. Well, we do. I mean, we, we do <laughs> yeah.
1: Americans don't understand what public transportation is.
3: <laughs> we so yeah. it's, a train yeah. spotter is someone who, yeah, waits for trains, and they're usually look, looking to take off specific trains. So I think as more and more older trains have been decommissioned, it's probably less understandable why people do it. But, you know, when you had a nice looking, I don't know, steam train, coming through. They'll, oh, it's this train and they know what time it's going to go past. So they'll tick it off and take photos and stuff. Oh,
1: so they don't like jump on it or do anything. They just go, "Uh aha,
2: there it is. Yeah, exactly. So
3: that's, (laughs) that's possibly why the the disparaging term anorak is applied to them. And the name... Alan Parsons. So this is my point. It, it kind of it's the epitome of that kind of name. That's what I imagine. It's it's not a cool rock name. Does that make sense? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, to me, it just kind of evokes maybe a sense of this is going to be a children's program. Come on, let's all sit down and watch the Alan Parsons show. And <laughs> yeah, he's gonna play okay, yeah. <laughs> a couple little ballads. <laughs> I didn't know anything about this song or this band, but it was it was kind of catchy.
3: I was just going to say, so the, the whole album, yeah, he, he doesn't sing. He's not really a singer. I think he kind of writes the songs and maybe plays a bit of keys or something. I don't know. Uh. He definitely produces it all. But there's there's always a different singer. So every singer is different.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. But yeah.
3: So, sorry, you said you quite like that. I like the song. It's kind of, it's campy, I guess, if yeah. if you know what I yeah. mean. It's, it's that high theatrical. And I think that's totally appropriate, by the way, to Edgar Allan Poe. I think that's completely actually.
1: I think Edgar Allan Poe would really like it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think if he wrote a song based on his stories and they weren't campy, I would say, what are you doing? You can't (laughs) out Edgar Allan Poe, him. Yes. How could you do like a chill? adaptation of one of his
2: stories (laughs) and
1: and if you did that i would say just write your own song then but you have to stay true to his spirit yeah Yeah,
3: i totally agree i totally agree so and i've so i've done episodes of my podcast before talking about literature and music and similar adaptations and i guess there's always a difference to me between how good a song is and how appropriate it is, mm. and I think this is a good song that is perfectly appropriate. Whereas, for example, the first song, "Jeff's by Jefferson Airplane," is a great song that is less appropriate, and I, I think it's it's mm. it's an odd kind of difference, I guess.
4: Yeah. So, if you average those scores out,
1: which song ranks higher?
3: <laughs> oh, it's, that's a good point. Yeah, um, <laughs> you have it, to
0: decide,
1: <laughs> I and mean, it has to be mathematical logic. Yeah.
4: Is
3: this the final test of? Yeah. <laughs>
4: You don't have to do it right now.
3: <laughs> no, no, I, I will. I insist.
4: <laughs> He's the new host. I guess if he wants to. Yeah,
0: I didn't know that this was from an album that was all based on Edgar Allan yes, Poe yeah. short stories. Mm-hmm. So when I was listening to it, I was thinking, why don't you just write a song that doesn't specifically say "I've got a cask of Amontillado"? Yeah,
1: why don't you pick a song that you can pronounce the title? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's one thing. Another thing is like, why don't you write lyrics that are inspired by what happens in the story, but don't necessarily like. Direct directly attach yourself to that story because, I mean, I feel like that is, I mean, that's like sort of what John Lennon would do a lot of the times and would make these really interesting Mm -hmm. songs, right?
1: Instead Um, of just having the first person speaker be the singer, right, is what you're saying? Yes, yeah.
3: Yeah. But I I think in a way that's the difference between a competent songwriter and a great songwriter. I mean... I'm not trying to Ugh. crochet on Alan Parsons. <laughs>
1: is he still alive?
4: I'm
3: sure well I'm sure he's li- he will be listening. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> what?
4: Is that true? Yeah, yeah, he's probably one of our British listeners. Is he known for listening to podcasts about himself? <laughs> yeah, I'll
3: I'll I'll at him uh, um on Twitter, don't worry. Oh cool. I don't know if he's still alive. I'm joking. I'm joking. We'll put his name all over the episode description just so He's you can,
1: alive. Yeah. He is. Okay, phew. <laughs> well, good. I'd be actually much more upset if he listened and he wasn't alive. So, thanks for
3: That would be more Poe, though, wouldn't it? It would be. It
4: would. Perfect for our our, uh, goosebumps for the modern era. Yeah, Uh. essentially. A ghost listens to your podcast.
3: So even like Kate Bush, the the Kate Bush Wuthering Heights, which we all seem to agree is a great example of literary rock music it's not just reciting the story is it like that's that's why it's so great as well it's right. like Yeah. capturing the mood and like the, the kind of gothic romanticism mm-hmm. of it rather than just this is a story I like and reading the story <laughs> through music yeah
4: so you would say in terms of song quality and appropriateness Wuthering Heights is like a 10-10 yeah
3: yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. By simple virtue of it being Kate Bush, I mean it kinda goes, it kinda goes without goes <laughs> saying.
1: <laughs> we spooked somebody out very badly one time. This is cause I was at a wedding and this song came on and me and like the four or five people who were familiar with this just started doing the dance like without mm-hmm. coordinating <laughs> at all. And there was yeah. someone else there who didn't know the song, didn't know the dance and was just looking at us and was like, what it kind of, it looks it looks like you guys are you like hypnotized. You're all possessed. <laughs> Yeah. They're like how do you how do you all know to be doing that right now? We're just like whatever. <laughs> you should have
0: played it off like guys what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean?
1: We're not doing anything. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah <that's>
0: <laughs> You're the one acting weird. Something I like about this song or something I think is kind of funny about this song is the, I don't know what to call it, like a re chorus thing or like the, the like mm-hmm. bridge thing where it's, it goes into the conversational lyrics, right? Or the, it sounds almost like sixties pop or something like yes, that. Like it the, does, the, yes, the beach yeah, boys yeah. or the, the zombies kind of.
3: Yeah. Very zombies.
0: It's like two people having a conversation and it, it's like the least dramatic, dramatic, dramatic part of the song but they're saying like what are these chains binding my arms and then the person responds part of you dies each passing day really making the two characters in this situation where one's about to die and it sounds like the most maybe a glib part of the whole song.
3: Again, it just contributes, (laughs) for me, to the the campiness. It's high camp. That's what it is. And I I think it's... Mm. I I really appreciate it here. I think over the course of an entire album... Well, it doesn't help that the second half of the album, they try to do a mostly orchestral interpretation of the fall of the House of Usher. And it's just... (laughs) <laughs> it just it just falls completely flat whereas the actual songs kind of work these are all synthesized
0: instruments though right like i feel like i heard a few maybe real like cello attacks but a lot of them are
3: i think it is a bit of a mix yeah it's a bit of a okay. mix and on on that note the uh, the opening track of the album is the raven and it is fantastic for all the same reasons that you would imagine this song is fantastic. It has a um, vocoder intro. <laughs> they put a melody to the Raven through a vocoder, right. And it's just, and it's just this. Were the seventies a mistake or were they the best thing that ever happened? I cannot decide. I generally can't.
1: <laughs> it's they're the, the internet of decades. We have yes, really. <laughs> yeah. the internet of decades. It?
3: But um, it does turn into more of a traditional kind of straightforward rock song. Um, where he's kind of belting out a bit more. But it just has to be heard to be believed. It's basically, I can't say it any other way. (laughs)
4: Okay. (laughs) Well, i got to go listen to
1: it.
3: (laughs) Let's
4: move to the third song, because we're
1: going to run out of time. Yeah, we want to do the next song.
2: And that's how it was for the next ten nights. A flare spurting out.
4: So the the third one is based on the War of the Worlds, which... I would think everyone's familiar with it, even if they haven't read it. Have you guys read it or like heard the radio play
1: or uh, so i actually have it on cd and uh i think someone just burned hg wells uh you know the original recording to the cd and so i've listened to it before
4: yeah
3: i've i've read it
4: it's just aliens come to earth and attack us mm-hmm. we're good <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the song
3: <laughs> so uh, just a note on hg wells this is something i i was a talking nerd amongst many things i was also a, like a kind of sci-fi nerd mm-hmm. and I, I loved jules Verne. i i loved hg wells as a kid. Kid. I remember at university, someone saying, oh, the problem with H.G. Wells is, you know, he's he's so pedantic in his literary style. And I hadn't read it for years. And I was just like,
2: no, no. no. <laughs> um,
3: and I thought, well, for this, I should reread just a little bit of it. Mm. And I was completely wrong. And my friend was completely right, because it's the most pedantic <laughs> literary style imaginable. Um, so, this book starts off fine. I mean, it's more the kind of second paragraph where we get really pedantic. Mm-hmm. Planet Mars, I scarcely need to remind the reader, revolves about the sun at a mean distance of 140 million miles, and the light and heat it receives from the sun is barely half of that received by this world. It must be if the nebula hypothesis, you get the point. I mean,
1: common knowledge. <laughs> it's not
3: literary in the way most people would Im- imagine any literature should be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Someone maybe needs to clarify for me because, uh, so the story the story was written and then the radio prank was done or? Yes. It wasn't meant to be a prank. Okay. It was
3: just done very well.
1: Okay. So people just ended up believing it. So yeah, because I was thinking, well, what's the problem with it being pedantic if it's just a, a joke on everyone, but it, it was not meant to be a joke.
3: <laughs> yes. So I, I think this was written around 1899. And was it the 30s? Uh, the Orson Wells? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It
1: looks like it was 38, 1938.
3: So I think H.G. Wells was dead by then um i'm not sure
1: so it's these people's fault for being 39 years behind the time if they had simply been aware of the book they wouldn't have been so frightened
3: exactly yeah yeah so
1: i think it's
4: an urban legend about people killing themselves after the radio play i'm pretty sure like people did panic but right. nobody actually killed themselves yes from
3: yeah, yeah. i it. think so that's my understanding too the
4: rumor kind of grew mm-hmm. and now people are like oh people in the 30s were so
1: dumb they thought real aliens were coming and they yeah Yeah. i think i would at least wait to see the aliens before that (laughs) yeah
3: people in the 30s were so dumb like they didn't they they believed in aliens i mean people now i mean they always fully believe in (laughs) pandemics people now
4: know aliens are real
3: (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so the the song i so i put this on here thinking everyone definitely knows this but i'm not sure because i then realized this song and this album were huge in the UK. I mean, massive, massive. And across all of Europe, I I think, absolutely huge. Oh my
4: gosh, that's crazy. I've never heard of this. I've
0: never (laughs) heard of it. The whole album is War of the Worlds?
3: Yeah, so I mean, it's just the entire story. Do
4: you want to say the name of the album? Because I don't think we've said it. (laughs) Jeff
3: Wayne's War of the Worlds. From 1978, it's again,
4: very 70s. This was the one that had a a sort of dancey feel to it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just interspersed with, I'm guessing, like actual narration from the book and then some music there's a tiny bit of singing and then it comes in and out with the narration yes
3: yeah, yeah. so it's richard burton the kind of famous actor. I mean, his voice, it goes without saying, is fantastic. It's, it's great. Um, the music itself is kind of orchestral disco progressive rock. I don't know. Yeah, the it, disco it, part of it I
1: really enjoy. The <laughs> disco
3: is it's really in there. And there's so there's different songs throughout it. There's a bit more singing. Some of them are a bit more kind of just a straightforward song. And I think he actually, there's a song that he originally wrote as a love song and kind of a, as a bit of a pop song that he then decided well, it didn't do too well a few years ago. So I'm just going to put it into my musical about War of the Worlds. Yeah, so the disco vibe <laughs> (laughs) was pretty big throughout it was 78 it was just it was the times so you just had to do that obviously
1: alien disco is a great combination yes i I agree i liked the song a lot i i'm
4: interested now in listening to the whole album so maybe i will
3: i first heard it when i was maybe nine or ten and there's some bits that as a nine or ten year old are genuinely scary because there's aliens and (laughs) it kind of puts them into music and voices them and again i think it might be a vocoder going kind of like ooh la in this kind of shrill high-pitched voice and as a child that was pretty scary <laughs> the
1: scariest thing an alien has ever said yeah yeah ooh, la.
3: <laughs> so it has again it's, it's very british so the justin hayward sings on it and he was the singer from the moody blues i don't think they're that big these days in terms of they're one of those bands that from the 60s hasn't really continued their legacy in the way that their contemporaries has but then there's phil liner who is the singer from thin Lizzy. you would know that from boys are back in town i assume
4: I'm familiar with the name of that band.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that
4: song.
3: <laughs> Again, they were, they were a band who were quite big in the UK for quite a while, but uh, most of the people in it never really... This probably doesn't translate to an American audience that well. Um, but everyone <laughs> Well, you was, could
1: ask our dads. I mean, none of us are dads, <laughs> so we, we may be missing that segment. <laughs>
4: we should convene a council of yeah. dads on this episode after they've heard the songs. Let's get Frank, Dan, and Henry to tell us what they thought. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I th- yeah. I, it definitely felt like part of a larger thing. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. to me, I don't know if I felt like it worked as, like, a song. <laughs> I feel like if I listened to the whole album, I would appreciate it a bit more.
1: Like, you didn't think it was just a nice bop that you could just, like, listen to as a one-off? Nice bop you could bop to. Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I do think it's interesting how it seems like fast hi-hat with slow chord changes always sort of codes, like, this is the future and it's scary. <laughs>
3: I was reminding myself of this this music before we started talking and I was playing it through my speakers. It was a bit loud. I had the window open and went into the garden for a bit. And this is probably quite telling about the music itself, which I, I love, but I heard it kind of drifting out of my window and I thought, oh, there's an ice cream truck. <laughs> and then, I, I mean, it, it, that again, might be a very British thing, but ice cream trucks, they play like green sleeves and just random right. jingly songs. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, and they're kind of unsettling because they're always a little bit out of tune and just... <laughs> You know, wherever they're going, you're going to hear some kind of different... You have the Doppler effect yeah. or whatever
3: it's yeah. called. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I heard that and I thought, oh, ice cream. I could do some. Yeah, I'm down for ice cream. <laughs> and then I thought, no, it's Jeff Wayne's waterworlds No, it's, it's aliens. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> and
3: again, it's, it's, it's high camp, isn't it? It really is. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry to kind of be a bit of a broken record. I'm not sure if Americans realize how campy the British charts historically <laughs> and probably even now can be. We have put some incredibly weird music to number one. Strange novelty <laughs> hits about, like, as I said before, Combine Harvesters. Weird, weird things. And I think I I generally love this album still, but it is still very weird and campy. And it, as I said, it sold tens of millions. Yeah. So many albums. <laughs> that's um, amazing. It, it's just... Brilliant. You and
1: I tend to disagree on um, our favorite Pink Floyd albums, for example. So for some reason, I really like Animals. It, that's really campy, right? Like... You've got explicit moralizing and the sheep and the, you know, it's very Mm -hmm. pretentious now. That's
3: really interesting because a lot of people love the album Animals and... My little brother and I really don't like it. I, I listen to it and I my emotions are killed by that album. I don't know how else to say it. I, I get nothing from it. <laughs> All
1: emotions. <laughs> yeah,
3: I don't, I, it just puts me into a funk, really. I just hear it and I just think this... And it's weird because I like every other... Not every other album by them, but, you know, the albums either side particularly, I think are great. And I listen to al- Animals and so many people love it. And I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. So, well, it's your fault, yes. Yeah, yeah. maybe it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, so in the ranking, this song does a good job of getting at the meaning of the book, reflecting it. I mean, it literally it lays is the book. Is the book. book. Yeah, so. <laughs> and then and then you like the music as well.
3: So as an album, I feel it, it can't help but do a good job of nailing the narrative because it just is the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> Tonally yeah. is a, is a different question, right. I guess, because I don't think it does. You got H.G. Wells, who is quite a pedantic. I mean, it's kind of the the original science fiction where people that that pedantry was, you know, you would educating the public on science to some degree Mm. and they don't really match that because that would be completely inappropriate to a 70s concept (laughs) album about aliens Uh, so it's kind of i I think it's kind of middling on that i don't know Um, and in terms of the quality i I still love it i i I couldn't give it too high a mark because it's i love it partly because of the camp rather than the quality i don't know maybe that's a a false dichotomy
1: (laughs) well theo what do you think
0: it definitely gives you some sort of vague sci-fi atmosphere, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, even just in the fact that like synthesizers at that time, you know, those would also be used to create the sound effects for like a sci-fi movie or something like that. So it's hard Like, that quality of the synthesizer, I just have it associated with robots Mm.
2: and stuff like
0: that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, and that's also kind of a campy thing, I guess. Well,
4: the aliens in the book were, like, kind of robotic, right? Yes. They had, like, different metallic aspects to them. They were,
3: like, big fleshy bodies encapsulated within tripods. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And they were huge. Mm. Makes sense. <laughs> Jackie sounded wistful. <laughs> uh, they were huge. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: days when aliens are huge.
1: Aliens these days are too dang small. <laughs> yeah, now they're just microorganisms. Well I was thinking back to the Tom Cruise adaptation, the film adaptation of it, and mm-hmm. just how scary that was. But then I as I was thinking of it, it, was like, I'm not actually sure if that was how it was in the book or not, mm. if it was accurate. But man, that was a scary movie because they put out all these like weird blood vessels and are just like sucking all the life out of everything.
3: Yeah, so that that is there, yeah. There is the, the red weed it's called the red weed Ooh, um and then there is the scene when he's in tom hanks is in the basement with tim robbins i think is in it is he i think so yeah but there's there's a, a guy who goes slightly crazy in a in like a basement and that that mm-hmm. passage that bit is in the book as well. But it's a, an artilleryman or something. Mm. That's oh, one of the yeah. best bits in the musical because, it's just, again, it's just a very camp... It's very much a stage musical moment where <laughs> this guy is losing his mind, but he's dreaming of, like, a brave new world where, <laughs> oh, we humans, we can just live underground, actually. It's perfectly fine. They can take the surface. We'll live underground and we'll have these big cities and we won't bother with poetry and literature. We'll just have science. And yeah. it's just... It's ridiculous. <laughs> Which is a
1: great lead-in to Rush because Rush would have been, like... Kid- kill batman immediately <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah potentially yeah. so so the last song is anthem by rush oh, is like them, you you which is based on anthem by is there it, is it is this kind of a voldemort kind of thing if i say her name <laughs> <laughs> Ayn Rand everyone seems to pronounce it differently I was, I was always led to believe well,
1: it's was... Ayn Rand is how we
3: Ayn Rand okay Ayn Rand yeah. there we go Yeah.
1: should I real quick talk about the book
3: oh do we have to <laughs> <laughs> this
2: is
4: your doing <laughs> it is just real quick it's an Ayn Rand novella I had to read it like my freshman year of high school in English lit class Lit richer. Literature. They... That's what the lit is short okay. for, unbelievably, for signing
3: this. Why did they do that to you?
4: Uh, I'm from the South, from like a very rich area. Okay. So I think, yeah. But... um it's not a good novella. Like, the writing is very poor. The whole thing is just, oh, in the future, everyone has to have equality. It's like a Harrison Bergeron type of situation, which we'll talk about later, probably, on the podcast. You're not allowed to have any desires for things. There are no singular pronouns. You have to use we and our and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And the main dude is like, oh, I'm cursed because I'm so smart and I'm so good at learning things and, like, I'm the best or we're the best. It's terrible. And he has, like, a friend and... And he has this woman, not a woman, a teenager who he's like, she's so pretty and I want to get with her, but they're going to assign me someone to mate with instead. But I really like this girl. And eventually he like, he gets in trouble. He discovers singular pronouns and there's this like, pages long thing where he's like this is amazing I get to be one person and I'm an individual it's wonderful and he runs away to the woods and his girlfriend runs away too and they say we're gonna live together and we're gonna make individuality come back and have freedom and I, here's, I came up with my own name and it's Prometheus and my girlfriend's new name is Gaia and now she's pregnant
1: and it's gonna be wonderful. <laughs> when you said that it reminded me of this <laughs> meme that had been going around where someone Someone read Barack Obama's um, autobiography and counted up all the number of times that he said I. Uh-huh. And they were like, look how self-obsessed this man is. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, when and Rand does it, it's great, though. <laughs> it's an autobiography though, right? I know. <laughs>
2: no,
3: right. <laughs> uh, all this man funny. can talk
1: about is himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: It's <laughs> kind of cheeky that, you know, I want to dunk on her and I've not actually read an entire book by her, but I've always read bits and uh, yeah. I know enough about the objectivist philosophy to think philosophy yeah exactly yeah it's it's a shame it's not a video kind of podcast because they need to see the air quotes
4: (laughs) we put it in quotes if you ever do want to actually read an ayn rand thing to dunk on her better this is the only thing i would recommend because it's shorter yeah i had to read atlas shrugged and the other one the fountainhead terrible yeah Terrible, terrible.
3: But I, I just, I just love that it opens up with this book anthem. It's a sin to write this. It is a sin to think words no others think and to put them down upon a paper no others are to see. It is base and evil. It's just like victim. I'm a victim. 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 But it's just in <laughs> yeah. It's it's a
1: thirteen year old boy. That's what it is. Ayn Rand is a thirteen year old boy. The boys in my freshman year class were like, "Oh, this
4: is great," because it was a really short book too. So they were happy about that. But there were a few boys who were like, "Wow, that's so deep." that he discovered singular pronouns.
3: Mind blown, I know. Whoa.
4: Imagine if we couldn't use those.
3: <laughs> it's an attitude that really did get adopted by Rush in a few interviews I've, I've read from them around that time. It's, sneering is the only way I could describe, particularly Neil. Um, who who is the... He probably solely wrote the lyrics, in fact. And very, very... I read one in particular. It was an interview with a British music journalist. And he was... It was the late 70s, so we still had a, a Labour government in power. And they were kind of nominally socialist government, I guess. And he was so sneering towards anything to do with even the NHS, the National Health Service. Just, just completely sneering about how, in England, individuality is quashed. And I've never been able to... I, I should have found the uh, the interview again because it's it's really just epitomizes this kind of infantile pseudo-intellectual individualism that really infected their music for a while so that they they there's there's a few songs they did where Ayn Randian philosophy is at the center of it
1: I was thinking of 2112 where the guy like discovers the guitar and is like yes again it's like I just discovered this thing that has has actually existed in the real world for a long time no one has ever told you you can't play guitar no one has ever told you you can't use first-person pronouns yes yeah, but yeah, again yeah, I just yeah, think yeah. it's still a great album like I just this song the lyrics aren't good but I don't know. It's like they wouldn't necessarily be so bad. It's like, so the one of the last stanzas of this song, well, I know they've always told you selfishness was wrong, yet it was for me, not you. I came to write this song. Mm-hmm. Write the song. It's a good song. You did not have to include that little bit in there. Yeah, 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 if it's really just for you, why did you release it? You know?
3: It's yeah. That's a good Sounds point, like that's you a good wanted point. us to hear it, bro. I didn't,
1: nobody said you couldn't write a song. <laughs> wanna, actually, I want to ask Theo's opinion on just the music, like not the book or the meaning of the song or anything, but this was your first time listening to Rush, like, what did you think of the actual band?
0: Something that I liked about the song is they have that intro that's like in 7-8. And then when they come into the actual song and it's in 12-8, it's based on the same idea. It's just a variation of it. I like that a lot because I feel like so often in progressive rock or something, you have something that's kind of impressive or interesting musically. And then the next thing that happens is totally unrelated. Mm -hmm. This was an example of like economy of
3: material I guess which I actually appreciated.
1: He's always wanting to cut stuff. Nothing to cut here.
3: (laughs) It's a good point and it kind of epitomizes actually because they are the middle ground between yes and they're explicitly I think they're consciously should I say the middle ground between yes and that kind of very very obscure progressive rock and Led Zeppelin. They were big fans of both and they really looked to combine Mm -hmm. the two so that's why they are grounded and a bit more they're they're a nerdy Led Zeppelin I guess you might call it Nerdier. Yeah. Yeah exactly this song I mean Led Zeppelin I guess did write songs about Lord of the Rings, so that's still quite nerdy. And this song kind of, it does that as well. It goes between... The kind of cerebral proggy rock and a bit more grounded and it's not as frivolous mm. as some progressive rock but honestly i'm not a fan of rush i think i like their poppier stuff a lot better um i think spirit of radio is i really like that song i think it's great fun 21 even 2112 i i find really hard to stomach which is surprising you know most people find it surprising because i can listen to a 25 minute yes song and just you know i love it it's great um, i think
1: maybe if they sang in a different language or if you weren't a, an english speaker maybe you would like it a lot better
4: i think this song is better than
1: the novella for sure. Like the writing. Because yeah. I keep trying to separate the lyrics from the music, because I think the music is amazing.
0: But I can't understand the lyrics. You can understand the lyrics, like, on the first lesson? I I'd... personally couldn't.
1: <laughs> I could understand most of them, yeah. Oh, wow. I've, well, you have to get used to listening to Geddy Lee's Mickey Mouse voice. Yeah. It
0: does seem like a weird
1: yeah. Robert Plant
3: impression to me. <laughs> His voice sounds like a combination of Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin and John Anderson from Yes. It's it's a,
1: Yeah, it's intentional,
3: I think. <laughs> to be fair to them, again, I'm not a fan, but they have completely delivered on their aims. They really have. Mm. They've combined the <laughs> yeah. two. Um, But I, I'm I was never I don't know, their music feels a bit stilted to me. There's something that I don't know, even though they're a bit more straightforward rock and less cerebral than a lot of progressive rock, Mm -hmm. they never end up having that really true kind of rootsy just rocking out vibe that I would want them to have.
1: Like it never gives you this the goosebumps. Like it feels kinda like they're being impressive on purpose,
4: maybe.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they've gone I don't know, they've gone for that middle route and the cerebral and rocking, they neither rock nor kind of, you know, push the same buttons that...
4: (laughs) They're dumb and they don't
3: rock. (laughs) Well, yeah, actually, that's a really good way to say it, because
1: (laughs) they're dumb and they don't rock. I think I have to disagree. I've I never heard someone say that Rush does not rock. I think they rock. Whoa. Do you think they're dumb, though? Are they dumb, but they rock, or what? Well,
0: it's extremely <laughs> clean.
1: Right. It, they're very technically good, right?
0: And and just, like, the way it's mixed, like, you you don't hear any of the, like, room noise, any of the, like, reverberance when he hits. <laughs>
1: they were he... not using Blue Yetis, <laughs> yeah. He is no. really into not hearing room no. noise.
0: <laughs> when Neil Peart is hitting the, the Tom Toms, I guess maybe they're just, like, really small and non- resonant drums or something, but it's like mm-hmm. like nothing is masking anything else. I, I, anything.
3: I know what you mean, and I think that's sometimes my problem with them, that you can hear particularly on an album like 2112, that if you're recording something, even if you're going straight into the desk, you... You want to add something that makes it sound you're in a room like you're in a room mm. and rush music always sounds like they're always in an artificial room right at most i can hear mm. that they're in a studio and to me i don't know again prog rock is it's imaginative and fanciful and ridiculous and you you want to feel like you're listening to it in a forest or in a subterranean cave or something <laughs> like that not <laughs> just i, I guess <laughs> they
1: want you to think you're listening like at the top of a mountain or maybe just music from directly from the gods like <laughs> uh, from heaven perhaps yeah
3: I, I think part of that production issue has always been my problem because there's a bit in this where bits of the guitar have quite a bit of echo on it and it Mm. sounds to me just really it just never felt real to me and there's a few other albums Thin mm. Lizzy that we mentioned before because the singer was in uh, The War of the Worlds I prefer them as a band to Rush but they have a similar production problem on the studio albums that you just hear the studio and I, it's never been a particularly pleasant production kind of sound to me again it's not I mean they're very technically competent and I think again I think they got better in the 70s uh, sorry in the in the 80s as they kind of moved more towards pop mm. to be clear they also moved away from this kind of like objectivist philosophy
4: thinking that they themselves were Randy and Superman <laughs> yes that's such an Im- Embarrassing thing to believe is like, I'm so good that I
1: don't even need society. That's just so juvenile
2: it is.
3: of
1: an opinion uh, about yourself.
2: I
3: totally agree.
1: Is it more embarrassing now than it was then? Probably. I think my my thing is that you know you can't be good at everything. I think they shouldn't have tried to be philosophers. They should have just <laughs> stayed true. in their lane. <laughs>
4: oh gosh. I don't mind if people try other things. I just think this particular philosophy is very embarrassing. Like it's one thing if you believed it and you were like, I think that there are Supermen and they should tell me what. What to do. That's okay, whatever, weirdo. But if you're someone who's like, I'm one of the supermen, <laughs> that's so embarrassing. Yes. It's yeah. less
1: embarrassing, I think, to say everyone is a superman and so am I. Yes. That's my philosophy. We're all great. We're all great. Yeah,
4: that's great. Uh, yeah, but in that case, why wouldn't you want all the supermen to work together in a society?
1: <laughs> Because I'm the best Superman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. we come full
3: circle now.
0: So now I don't feel so super anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to wrap
4: up, let's discuss another song based on Beowulf, oh. written by Theo
1: Chandler. <laughs> oh, really? No, I'm just kidding, Theo. We okay. won't have someone critique
3: it. <laughs> oh. Well, there's
1: nothing to critique. That's why we didn't bring it up. <laughs> it's perfect. <Yeah.
3: laughs> so we didn't say how appropriate the uh, Rush song was to its source.
4: Yeah, please do. Tell us what you think.
3: I think it's a 10 out of 10 it's a crap song and it's a crap book (laughs) (laughs) honestly that is actually I don't always dunk on Rush but I do do it occasionally and it's it's fun I can't help it sorry
1: what if if we had talked about Tom Sawyer instead another literary Rush song
3: I I like that a lot more I do like that a lot more yeah yeah but I was gonna say like to me the guitar solo is in, in this song anthem is a perfect encapsulation of the problem with this song as a whole and Rush during this era personally for me and Ayn Rand ayn rand and ayn, ayn rand? i keep getting it wrong i don't know i
4: think it's ayn, ayn rand.
3: i think you've already told me and i've already forgotten
1: it doesn't she's
3: dead <laughs> no, <it was> fine.
1: <laughs> like what's she gonna do <laughs> unlike alan Parsons, she is not going to be giving us a review <laughs>
3: yeah that's true That's true the the guitar solo just it's just contentless to me i heard it and i just i didn't even feel it went anywhere i didn't get a melody from it it was just notes that kind of fit together yeah. and they 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 rocked in a very straightforward way, I guess. Like, yeah, there's notes, but he could have played much fewer notes and played much more content within that. And I I, I just didn't get anything from it. And I think it's a real shame because Alex Lifeson is a good guitarist and he didn't need to do that.
1: Mm. The more notes, the better. Yeah. More is better every time. That's a verifiable
3: (laughs) fact. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But accepting that... Have you heard them um, of the '80s neoclassical shred guitarist Ingve Malmsteen? Yes, no.
4: I have actually. Weirdly, he's
3: he's ridiculous. He's 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 walking Spinal Tap at many times. <laughs> There's a great interview where someone's talking to him and he says, "Yeah, people say to me, Ingve, you know, sometimes." Uh, less is more and i say you know how how can that be possible more is always more they don't know what they're talking about like, it just doesn't make any sense
1: right i mean that's just a truism
3: yeah, yeah. And he's like that's why i always play very fast all the time and i can't help but respect him for that um so sh- do we need to wrap up now yes please <laughs>
4: okay, yes, please. You were
0: talking too. I know, I know. I can't help Gosh, it. that was so blunt.
1: So, okay. so Northern English of right. you. Well, this has okay.
0: been really great. Uh, thank you, Jacob, for coming on our podcast. It was, it was good to get to know all of these songs. And audience, I hope you, you listen to the playlist as well.
4: <laughs> It'll really enhance your experience, I'm, I promise. Yeah. And listen
0: to <laughs> Jacob's podcast as well.
3: Yes, Underrated, Overhated um, on YouTube and Spotify and all, all the places under the channel of Big Yellow Praxis. Um, it was great it was great being on it it really was it was great talking to
0: you yeah you've been a great guest
4: awesome if you ever want to come on again to talk about something else we'd love to have you on to talk about some Lord of the Rings music or some Wuthering Heights at some point (laughs) I might be contacting you
1: to just start our own podcast actually so (laughs)
2: but no this
1: was very fun thank you for coming
0: yeah and I just want to say like to the listeners if you like the way this uh, this is kind of how your podcast is every week you have a playlist and the two people discuss it just if you like that scheme yeah Check mine out.
1: <laughs> all right. So uh, thank you all for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear some more from our guest, you can follow him, like he said, at Big Yellow Praxis is his social media handle. His uh, podcast is underrated over hated. Our information, you might know, but if you're just joining us, you can reach us on Facebook at Fire the Canon Podcast. Um, we have a discussion group and also an official page for announcements. So like both, we have a website. It's firethecanonpod.com. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at FireTheCannonPod. And we are also uh, have a Gmail. We also are have a Gmail. The Gmail is firethecanonpodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can reach us at patreon.com slash firethecanon and also ko-fi.com slash firethecanon. That's ko-fi.com slash firethecanon. And we have some pretty great bonus material that's there um, on our Patreon. So we hope you will join us there. And it's a ton of fun.
4: Yeah, for just $3 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content that's already out and all of it going forward. But if you want to check out the other pledge tiers, we have various other bonuses for you. We have one tier where you can force us to do episodes about any book that
1: you want
0: (laughs) so ayn rand foundation (laughs) oh
1: my gosh i would do it i think we're gonna have to have a separate tier for that but yeah no we we have stickers coming they're gonna be really nice high quality like stickers you can put on your water bottle or your laptop um we got a t-shirt on the way so we're working on these things
4: yes we are trying to make high quality versions so we're working on that (laughs) we want to be able to do it in a way that's not so
1: expensive that no one wants to buy it yeah Yeah, but we also don't want it to be so cheap that it falls apart because uh, we appreciate you guys and we want Sustainability. To, yeah, sustainability. Oh, yeah. Also, we appreciate our audience. <laughs> we love the earth- a little more than we love you guys, but we do love you. We
0: don't want the t-shirts to be so big that no one can wear them because they just cover multiple people.
4: Only only an, a Martian yeah. who attacked Earth would be able to wear it.
0: We don't want the shirts to be so small that they only fit on bugs. <laughs> we want them right. just right. Yeah. We're
1: working on finding the perfect balance.
0: We keep getting back bad prototypes. Like
1: yeah. a limousine shirt it's like maybe 16 feet long and it's got like multiple head holes and you can wear it with oh. all your best friends. Oh, yeah. now that would be a great advertisement.
0: Okay, okay. Jackie's trying to sneak in another sort of human centipede type thing.
1: God damn it, Theo. Uh, <laughs> I thought she
4: was away from that, but no. Every time we think we're out, Jackie pulls us back in. Do you wish you could be the
1: catcher in the rye and prevent kids from ever having to learn that?
0: <laughs> that's not a job, Jackie.
1: <laughs> How dare you. And now is the part where we say goodbye to Oh yeah,
0: we say bye to my mom. So yeah, that's Theo's mom, mom, so. So yeah. let's say goodbye now on three, okay? One, two, you look shit. <laughs> One, two, three. Goodbye, Goodbye now bye, bye now now <laughs>